0: Greetings, Meltopians! If you've become enthralled by the dark wastes and nightscapes of Meltopia, and want to further explore its Stygian depths, consider joining our Patreon. For two dollars a month you could become a Meltopian and gain access to the darkest artworks, as well as written mythos pieces contained in the Melgrim, entries in Maltopia's own dark encyclopedia, and the legendary Corpus Diabolos, an elite publication containing essays written by the most esteemed dark scholars. For $5 a month, become a feared mailsayer, and gain early access to episodes on the Maltopia and Sleepwake Cycle podcasts and listen to new episodes of our audio series, Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and The Weird Book. And for $10 a month, join the Ranks of the Malsapien, where you can listen to our Patreon-exclusive podcast, October's Children, as well as gain access to found recordings discovered throughout the world in The Weird Tapes. But if you're not ready to delve into the pitch just yet, and would rather swim the shallows to test the blackened waters... You can explore our public page which contains our entire backlog of Tales of Meltopia, The Lost Library, and the Weird Book, episodes from the Meltopia Podcast, which all together number over a hundred episodes. So, whether you want to become a full denizen of the dark, or simply peruse the public archives, come visit us at patreon.com forward slash Meltopia. That's M-A-E-L-T-O-P-I-A. Now, Without further ado, enjoy the show.
1: Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman.
2: I'm Lee Alec Murray.
3: And I'm Leah President. Another
0: (laughs)
2: match. You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. For our oldest and most loyal listeners out there, we wanted to let you know about our new Patreon page. Outside of our careers and time spent with family, the three of us here at Maltopia have been working every night and weekend for the past five years, building our company into what it is today. With your help, our goal is to make Maltopia our livelihood allowing us to bring you higher quality content, exciting new podcast series, and published works, and a large central community for you to take part in. As a thank you for your support, we're offering exclusive perks and bonus content, like early access to podcast episodes, behind-the-scene creator videos, and more. Go to patreon.com forward slash Maltopia today and explore our membership levels, and be sure to scroll through for free public content some of which gives you a sneak peek at what you can expect when you become a member. From Mark, Steve, and Walker, thanks again for enjoying our podcast, and we hope to meet you soon on Patreon.
4: It was only because she couldn't stand the twinge of hope the household couple exuded with their every pass through the broken house that Lynn agreed to accompany Mars on his trip. She didn't begrudge the two their share of false hope, but only that they reminded her of the truer, blacker truth underlying the passengers as a whole. The happiness they seemed to conjure against the bleakness of it all was an anglerfish's glowing lure in the dark, and she was desperate to seize it if only to expedite the end of it all. But that's what got her into the mess in the first place. Mars had been annoyingly present after the ditch, likely due to the guilt he felt over abandoning her, or perhaps just another attempt to court her affections. Either one or the other, it made no difference. The void was with her now, sitting shotgun as much as she was, just waiting for the ride to end. She was focusing on the movie, to consume wonder trying to jolt herself into some shade of feeling. But the memories, the flies, the turning worm, and even her eventual skinning rose to a disinterested audience. The emptiness had digested them all. Somewhat more illustrative of the fact was that each memory of the fiasco had been preserved in living Technicolor, but now seemed little more than the recollections of a bad horror movie. This condition had become her mind almost entirely, where reminiscing was just leafing through the pages of a stranger's scrapbook, one alien image after the next. It was only when she felt a more direct blast of cigarette smoke that she realized Mars was speaking to her. That uh, undead over sapien thing must have been watching us since we took out Ghoul Company. Said something about turning me into a necroform. That ring any bells from when you and it were sharing headspace? He just wanted her to talk, snap out of her funk, but she was impressed with the question regardless. It was a thoughtful invocation of relevant concerns and bad memories, a cocktail for lively conversation. She wondered if his power extended to strategy.
3: It sees through the dead somehow. Might have tacked us through the dead knot. Cromwell may be death itself, but he might still function like a corpse, at least as far as that shitty OS is concerned.
4: Well... Whatever that thing was up to, I'm thinking that things didn't go the way it planned. I may not be real sweet on the dead guy, but, uh, the fucker does pack a wallop. When I got down there, he was wiping the floor with that fucking thing.
3: Sounds like a better show than the one I watched.
4: She didn't even know why she said it. As a matter of capacity, she really couldn't care less. Chalking it up to a hidden desire to court external drama, as she was incapable of the internal variety... She searched the Warbringer's face for a reaction. He finished off his cigarette with one long pull and tossed the butt out the window. Yeah, uh, uh, listen, I ain't real proud of that shit. I, I don't know, I, I wasn't thinking real clear. With all that's happened, my thing, power, whatever you want to call it, seems to be trying to call the shots more than I like to admit. When I felt the slugfest in the basement, I... Fuck, I, I just lost my shit, I guess. For whatever it's worth, I'm, I'm real sorry, Lynn. He was so vulnerable to her, honest and repentant. Analyzing the warrior was all she could do in lieu of feeling for him.
3: Don't worry about it. We're good.
4: She did it again, tried to hurt him. Her shortness like a stiletto. The warrior was perhaps, and quite ironically, the most vulnerable of the group, she speculated. While Eric was objectively the weakest of them all, her void looked upon him as if he were a brother. He was dangerous, with or without the dead knot. Even naive little Hazel could eat a man down to his ashes without blinking an eyelash. And Keith, well, he was, despite his ready wit and good cheer, a cold-blooded killer. Albeit a likable one. Mars was the farthest away from his inner machine, still fighting it. Again, she wondered if that was just part of his power. Glad to hear it, Mara said flatly, clearly displeased with the brevity of her response.
3: I remember when you first stopped by this place. I was surprised you left it in one piece. Not the sort of place that doesn't pick a fight with the first outsider it sees.
4: She thought she'd lighten the mood. She owed him at least that. Yeah, well, you know, someone or another once said you don't shit where you eat. It was the sort of joke monsters tell one another, from beneath beds and bridges. Perhaps he wasn't fighting the machine as much as she thought.
3: If you think it's manageable, I'd love a nice filthy beer for a change. The snooty stuff Keith brought back from the drop-off is plain dreadful.
4: She was going through the motions, trying to define the banter of teammates. Mars finally smiled. Well, uh, this is more of a meet-and-greet, but I, I think I can get you a beer. A ring of park lowriders circled the bone spur. The bar's lights dimmed to a low simmer. She could sense Mars's blood warming, his vision blurring at the edges. He was ready, eager for anything. She could feel her relationship to him changing. She smiled at the thought of the carnage he might cause, the pain and adrenaline that might quicken her, allowing her to feel again.
1: Your little military exercise has cost us time and resources.
5: I meant only to evaluate the strength of my army before the attack, to ensure our plans properly developed and executed.
1: They are not yours to dispose of, Hanuma. They belong to me, as do you yes of course my master you are a prideful creature castilian it makes an impressive monster of you to be sure but it will also spell the end of you as it has already proved the end to a number of your kinsmen kinsmen we will sorely miss in the war ahead You pulled warriors from the front lines to fuel your little spectacle, Underlord. You allowed the need to rekindle your wounded pride to yield the day to our enemy. Those loping atrocities are inching ever closer with each passing moment, and will soon be upon us if we are not careful, if our plans do not reach fruition. And so, in atonement, you will lead the battalion you crippled back into the fold to regain what you sacrificed, understood?
5: Yes, my master.
4: He banished the memory of his most recent scolding, just another wound upon the flesh of his pride. But the great Hanuma was almost grateful to return to the battlefield, the cradle of his birth. The fire of war was what kept him honest, ready, bereft of the excesses of pride and vanity. There was no allowance for such things in the heat of combat. You were either the killing blow or the bones it shattered. There was nothing so unforgiving as war. His greatest failing was to be risen above the fight, placed at the back of the battle, to lead from behind. He was not unaware of his faults, but today he would remind his master and himself of his true worth. From the woodline, the Underlord stared into the ruins of the Dogtown, one of the feral cities that appeared in the wake of the lawlessness that followed the Great Darkness. Much of its collapse was fresh from the battle which claimed several of his kinsmen. The place was lost to countless acres of wildest forest, inaccessible to all but the most determined humans, thus why his enemy had chosen it. He watched a rangy man cross the street from a darkened alleyway, his movements graceful, predatory. Seconds later, the figure disappeared into the shadows of dusk. Besides the account of his eyes, the Hanuma could detect nothing else from the event the psychic ather undisturbed by so much as a wandering thought. But then again, it never was when dealing with Carnivian, mindless animals that they were. Lord, we last encountered the Zotha in that central structure. The Hanuma trooper telepathically indicated a building at the center of town, the largest of all the structures. The thing's location was likely not due to any calculation or strategy but because it was spacious enough to encompass such a monster. The Zotha were one of the fiercest breeds of Carnivian, a devil among demons. It would be Castilian's first victim. He would see to it. We
5: will not waste time stealing about. Their senses have likely already detected us, in both placement and number. Form behind me.
4: He grimaced when he felt fear tinge the telepathic rapport he shared with his battalion. He'd wish death upon such weaklings if his kind weren't so lean in number. He wondered if he might invigorate their bravery this day. There was little else more effective at stiffening a weak spine than standing amongst the corpses of one's enemies. The ten hanyuma dressed in gleaming psychic armors paused behind their leader as he evaluated the nearest building, a sizable three-story structure. I see no reason to wander their filthy warrens.
5: So let's just get on with it.
4: The Underlord telekinetically ripped the thing from the earth and tossed it over his head, where it crashed down into the woods beyond. The act revealed the ground beneath riddled with yawning holes. They're beneath us, Castilian shouted. The world erupted around the 11th as monsters lifted themselves from below, shrugging tons of earth from their backs as if dust. The first was a massive chimera of forest beasts, bears and wolves twisted into the rough shape of a man, a patchwork of animal leathers draped around it like a cloak. It swung a paw the size of a boulder at the Underlord. Castilian's eyes blazed silver as he grasped the huge claw in a crushing mental grip.
5: Filthy thing,
4: the Hanuma growled. As the creature's bones began to crack, Castilian's back was ripped open by a monster whose features partook generously from all manner of insect, its most prominent feature, the hooked forelimbs of a gigantic mantis. Take to the air and regroup, commanded the Underlord. Remaining in the midst of the myriad of monsters, Castilian's eyes went red and hot as he leveled the mantis creature in a volcanic blast of punishing pyrokinetics, the thing screeching behind the avalanche of fire. More Carnivian closed around the fuming Hanuma, prompting burning eyes to shift blue and hiss lightning in all directions. As the monsters tumbled backward from the blazing lashes, the psychic giant wrapped his right fist in a wickedly spiked gauntlet of solid psychic energy and plowed it into the Beowulf monstrosity. Once disguised as men, women, and children, the Carnivian metamorphosed back into their primal, rapacious selves, claws and teeth and horns greeting the following night. Nearby gambrel rooftops blasted upwards as winged Carnivian poured into the sky, unwholesome conglomerations of hawks, bats, owls, and coyotes seeking out the sky born Hanuma. The battalion of ten, no doubt emboldened by the berserker who led them, Surged towards the incoming swarm, psychic energies unfurling, war cries vibrating the air. The two bands collided in a storm of metal and monster, fangs and claws tearing into mind made armor, psychokinetic fury smashing through alien exteriors. Castilian roared to the heavens, where his gory angels spilled the blood of demons. Crush them to screams!
5: We leave nothing behind this night, save for echoes, blood, and ashes.
4: The Underlord fixed his smoldering gaze upon the rambling edifice at the center of the city. Come, monster. Face me. The challenge melted into the rage of the Hanuma, where it smashed down upon the world, opening craters and crushing everything before him. Every structure, large and small, crashed to the ground. Even the massive complex, said to contain the leader of the Carnivian, flattened like a house of cards. When the world began to tremble, the scowling Underlord took to the air and prepared himself. Like a geyser from hell, the Zotha exploded from the ruin. At least four stories of embodied ferocity loomed before the Underlord. Its twilight shadow laid like a rambling tar pit across the length of the city. It was a madness of beasts, an effusion of every creature known to haunt the northern woods. A bear's build framed a torso alive with snapping eyeless wolf moths, and its hands were knots of swollen muscle, drooling fangs jutting from the bone-encrusted knuckles, and a rack of gigantic moose horns soared from the sides of its head. Despite the menagerie of its genetic influences, it was a sturdy thing, powerfully muscled and armed with a massive mace, no doubt a weapon requiring the felling of an entire tree and the smelting of an armory's worth of metal. Its face was largely covered by a steepled hood made from untreated human hides. As it took a long look at its opponent, the pits of its eyes burning into life, igniting the shadows of a gruesome face, the hell beneath the hood. Its head was designed solely to support jaws of preternatural size, jaws that cracked open and spoke.
5: You will not even fill my belly, Hanuma
4: pig. Its voice was deeper than the earth it rose from. Your
5: guts will open upon the sky when I'm through with you,
4: filth. Never a subtle creature, Castilian charged at the thing, a psychic comet made from rage and fire. The monster inhaled with the draw of a tornado and loosed its battle cry. The sound married a wolf's howl, a bear's roar, and the shriek of a swarm of cicadas, all of them elevated to an unearthly volume. The resulting sonic storm struck the Underlord like a missile, smashing him back, flensing the city to its bedrock and ripping both Carnivium and Hanyuma from the sky. Castilian looked up from where he'd come to rest in a pile of fallen trees. The Zotha was descending from the blackening sky, Mace bearing down. A tree, telekinetically sheared to a wicked point, met the monster in the air, plunging through its chest and reversing the thing's course across the sky. Castilian was on his feet before the creature smashed down, his mind making fire of the wood skewering his falling foe. The earth rippled like water beneath the weight of the crashing creature, branches and debris snapping and tumbling from the blast. The monster tore the burning stake from his body, its flesh peeling back from the devouring flames and lowered to a crouch to brace against the inbound Hanuma. His telekinetic shield held out before him like a battering ram, Castilian collided with the thing, taking it from the ground and plowing them both into the side of a distant rock cliff, the great overhang of stone thundering down atop them. Silence held a brief sway before the rock pile erupted and the Underlord was sent cartwheeling into the sky, the Zotha's blow still reverberating through the settling stone. Castilian righted himself in the air, and the humped carapace upon the abomination's back parted, loosing multiple sets of translucent hawk wings. Your master cannot hide behind his
5: trained beasts forever, Hanuma. Soon we will devour him, and his flesh will become our own.
4: The thing's metamorphic body had already healed from the burning tree when it took to the air its wings beating insect-like, the resulting wind scattering piles of loose stone. Castilian let the monster close, and when it was almost upon him, allowing the giant mace a close pass at his head, he seized the Zotha with both arms and all of his telekinetic might, holding it fast. His eyes erupted into a storm of light as he engulfed the thing in fire and lightning. Plunging backward towards the ground, Hoping the speed of his descent would add even more pressure to the grip he exercised upon the monster, the Hanuma crafted his killing move. As they streaked down, Castilian's nose and eyes bled from the effort of containing the Beast Lord's impossible strength, all while the thing's mouth slowly closed around his helm, shearing through layers of manifest mind. Asteroids have struck with less force the blast wiping the earth of trees, laying it bare to the limestone of its bones. The resulting crater bled smoke and cinder, the night still holding the terrible echo. The shape of the Underlord melted without the chaos, a monstrous blackened head in his right hand. He did not dwell on the victory, but only issued his commands to the Hanuma now gathered around the yawning hall.
5: We will purge the city of any lingering beasts and let their ashes whisper the story of their defeat.
4: Dropping the head to the ground, the Underlord moved to the front of the battalion, listening to the collective stiffening of ten mighty spines.
0: Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the Maltopia Podcast. To help us grow and spread the word, we'd love nothing more than for you to like, comment, rate, and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. You can also connect with us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and tweet us on Twitter for the latest original artwork and important updates. And for even more about our ever-growing literary world, head to meltopia.com to read our dark fiction and gain access to giveaways and discounts with our newsletter.
2: Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long